0: welcome to Mindset, an HCD vidcast where we dive into the world of applied consumer neuroscience and market research with leading experts in the field. My name is Michelle Nigella, PhD in Behavioral Neuroscience and Director of Research
1: and Innovation at HCD. And I'm Katherine Ambrose, the Manager of Behavioral and Marketing Sciences with HCD. As your hosts, we are going to act as the buzzkills for the buzzwords, taking time to critically think about the limitations and pitfalls of emerging trends and topics within the field to help you identify what innovation has a lot of untapped potential or is too good to be true.
0: Now, HCD is a full-service research house which provides research capabilities on consumers by looking at how they perceive, evaluate, and respond to different types of stimuli, such as looking at product experiences, communications, or just general consumer and shopper experiences. We use a combination of tools that come from psychology, physiology, neuroscience, as well as the traditional methods that people typically use to see how they experience different stimuli. That stimuli can range from the early stages of exploration all the way through the final product validation tests. This is what we refer to as
1: applied consumer neuroscience. So stick around for more curious conversations as we chat our way through the ever evolving space of consumer science. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mindset. We are so happy to have you here. Listening today uh, with us is a very special guest. We have Rex Ching with us. I'm so excited. Welcome to the show, Rex. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. And Rex, how do we know each other? Because you and I know each other not just from working together through HCD. He's been doing his internship with us, but actually through the MBDS program, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Think we 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 started the same program, like the same year. We're the same cohort. Two thousand Twenty September, at yeah. the,
0: the pandemic cohort.
1: The world stopped working, and then <laughs> right. we said, "Let's go to yeah. school." <laughs>
0: yeah. exactly. So I got to say, we've had a great time collaborating with UPenn and the Decision Sciences Program, um, having you know some pretty awesome interns, um, and you can see some of our other conversations with them. But what we Love doing is kind of reviewing with the interns, like what happened to you this semester, um, and to have you kind of talk about your experience a little bit. But before we kind of get to that point, we like to learn a little bit more about you and, and share that with the audience. Um, so it's kind of what we call the origin story. Like, what is your origin story? Um, what brought you to be interested in decision sciences and in UPenn and um, what What is your your origin story? Let's hear it.
2: Yeah, so after undergrad, I did econ and undergrads, and I want to share what I want to do. At that time, was I wanted to go into product management, um, and I did have an internship after undergrads and at that time with a health tech company. Uh, at that time, we were working closely with the other internal stakeholder, but mostly with the product design team, and I kind of know how they run all this uh, research on their user. I think it's so fascinating to understand what they're trying to find. And uh, so I kind of decided to want to pivot it from product management to more uh, user experience, a uh, behavioral science. And at that time, I was looking for a different program. Uh, I remember there was three I was considering that actually applied to um, this one's MEDS program and also the Human Centered Science uh, Master Program, University of Washington in Seattle. So I was at there at the time, I was like, if I got in, I don't have to move. Uh, <laughs> and the other ones, the other one is also like behavioral science program, but it's in uh, London School of Economics. Mm-hmm. And that, this is, I remember that before, back then, not a lot of programs like behavioral science. So this is one of the fields I actually kind of touched on, can help me like transition into another career. And... I, can is the only one that accept me, clearly. So I was like, okay. And that time I was working, <laughs> I was working kind of like program management. I, I don't really like it. I was like, I'm just going
0: back to school and kind of learn more. I will see from there. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it helps when the decision is made for us and it's serendipitous, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. I always joke that I went into the behavioral and decision science program because I am the worst decision maker I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm hoping Hoping this to
0: find helpful. out why. Yeah. Well, the oh, secret joke in uh, psychology uh, is that you study what your problem is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so like <laughs> watch out for some people uh, after you ask <laughs> them what they study. <laughs> That's always also kind
2: of makes sense. But it's yeah. kind of makes sense.
1: <laughs> so, Rex, what are your interests? What are you hoping to do with behavioral science? Maybe we can dissect you a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, I'm um, now I kind of consider I mostly want to get into UX research, but also I know kind of behavioral science still kind of growing at this point. Not a lot of behavioral scientists now. Yeah. You, recently, I've seen a lot of such companies start like hiring, but mostly in like very senior position. So I'm mm-hmm. hope, hoping in one day I'll be able to have enough like experience I'll be able to move laterally. <laughs> to be like be a behavioral scientist eventually like align with what I'm studying
0: that that is like a catch-22 right it's a new field um but they want you to have 10 years of experience yeah exactly
2: (laughs) (laughs) this is how it works now (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: so you have like 20 internships and
1: (laughs) eventually Eventually,
0: yeah I'm getting there
2: (laughs) probably have another like 18 more
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we were happy to be your first possibly internship in, in the world of behavioral science. And, yes. um, and, you know, we it was kind of interesting because I know you had a couple options to choose from. What interested you in what HCD was looking into and why did you want to do uh, your summer, well, not summer, your your last semester with us?
2: Yeah, so just like you said, it was like a list of clients I can select from. Um, at that time, I was considering I want something there. I can actually learn from a skill and mm. I know that HD has a different tool and also talking to pe- people who have like previous intern also have our program haven't worked and I heard good things. I was like, I want to get oh, something that's actually. Yeah. Yeah. Who <laughs> did like- you talk to? <laughs>
0: what did they say?
2: I talked to, talk to a few, like I kind of just- You don't have to from- give
0: names. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. they,
2: they kind of like the flexibility so you can choose your topics. Because um, I know some client has- um, they're very set uh, topic that they want to explore. Um, like for HD, just like a very high level, and can choose anything like related to that. So it's like it was like choose your own adventure. Yeah, it's just your adventure.
0: <laughs> yeah, we uh, the way we try to word our internship um, options is we have a general topic and maybe some methodologies that we might suggest that the intern use, but we find that when the intern is more excited about it is when, you know, and they do better work, to be honest, is when it's something they're passionate about, Mm -hmm. or have genuine interest in. Um, I think that that works out so much better for both both parties involved right um and it's something that they can use later on too because if it is a passion of yours then you can take this uh project and and go forth and if you're interviewing you can use it as a presentation or maybe to speak to that you have experience in it so i think it's it's mutually beneficial
1: 100 and and rex can you start to share a little bit so we we molded this project together uh, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of conversations initially about what route was of interest to you. Can you speak a little bit to that for us?
2: Yeah, so I remember when we first talked about it, was, we have a few options. And one is like the uh, canned cocktail ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that was like one of the things that I went for a trip with my friend and we have, saw this in the grocery store. I, I never seen them before. I think it was very interesting. Uh, that was one option. And the second option, we only talked about NFT for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it turns out, kind of just, I don't, I'm not sure that would be like a future thing since I, at this point, people just like, it's like a hot topic, but right. it seems like a lot of people understand what it is. And we eventually landed on this on demand delivery service because of the Uber Eats promotions of Super Bowl this yeah. year. Yeah. So tell us it's a like,
0: little bit about that because. <clears throat> the uh, the topic we gave to you was uh, brand harmony. So yeah. how um, people's expectations um, might differ from what the brand is actually offering, whether it's products or services. Yeah. Um, and so you came back with this idea of the on-demand services and it was because of the Super Bowl, right? So yeah. tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I remember talking about like Uber everybody associated with them like with rice sharing service uh but super bowl this year specifically on uber eats and not just on the food but like grocery delivery and like essential products so it's interesting to see that uh they're kind of trying to pivoting adding more service not just what they set out initially so i think it's like i feel like that would be like interesting study because when i go on uber eats i feel like the default now to me personally is still like restaurant because that's what you, you open now but now if you open up the apps there's so many different options yeah. like they have they even have right right like like ride sharing some uber eats app that you can go and direct you to uber apps so you can see that they're kind of like trying out how do you like rebrand themselves in a way mm-hmm. for laying ground for a future how bring that other different services onto the platform
0: and um, when it comes I, to brand harmony that could be really challenging right so yeah. Some of the classic examples we give where <clears throat> this has been successful or unsuccessful. So like Buick for example, is always thought of as an old fashioned car. People think of their grandparents driving a Buick but they're making a pivot to try to seem more modern. And so all of their advertisements have been really pushing you know, how surprised people are at how modern and, and fancy and, and luxurious these Buicks are. Um, so that's one hand where I think it's actually you know, successfully trying to remold and reshape what the brand is seen as, whereas another car example would be Volvo, right, where Volvos are typically seen as being this really safe, family-oriented car, Um, and they're trying to rebrand, or they have been in the past, trying to rebrand as being an adventure sporty car, um, which is really kind of the opposite of safe and family, right? So I think that's been more of a struggle and not necessarily very cohesive in the mind of the consumers and they can potentially alienate people. So when we're talking about this, Situation where in your mind, maybe, or my mind, or anybody's mind that uses Uber, maybe you think of it as it is just a ride share. I use it to get from the airport to home, right? Um, and you know, the idea of having them help you pick up your medicine or um, you know, do your grocery shopping and take you to a restaurant, like it, it can be difficult for some people to make that transition in their minds of what the brand can do. So it's kind of our goal here was to look at, you know, how far can the brand perception stretch, right? Is it, you know, is it in the realm of acceptability or, you know, what you expect from the brand to be able to do your medications or take you to your doctor's appointments? You know, and I
1: do think it's important to recognize that we'll, we'll just keep going with Uber and how it kind of inspired this research for you that they are doing small incremental steps to to dip their toe in the water. They're not just plunging straight in and saying, nope, we do this now. It, it's, you know, there, it's a yeah. slow mold <clears throat> into the what it is. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly.
2: Right. That's for sure. Because, like, uh, it, I think pandemic probably is the one that, like, the catalogs that pushed them to focus mm-hmm. on, like, delivery, like, yeah. groceries yeah. and other but stuff. There's so many
0: things that yeah. maybe people right. need help with. Uh, I think I had talked to Catherine before about, um, and maybe I brought this up with us. I sprained my ankle years ago when I first moved to Philadelphia and I didn't know anybody and I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't get anything. And, um, there were no things like this that existed. Um, and so like, I did find on Craigslist, someone who was willing to do like run errands. Um, and so I was able to get them to like pick up some things from like 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 getting like you know the the ankle support from from the pharmacy, uh, I couldn't even do that you know uh, or getting me crutches or something. Um, so but now you can call up Uber right you can load it up on your phone and get get any of those things um, which was not, not just the Uber.
1: case. it's there's no. so many taskrabbit oh, yeah right yeah there's so many um delivery services now yeah. that are all trying to grab at this space so i mm-hmm. i thought it was important that rec and rex you can speak to this that yeah. we explored what kind of services are available what did we end up landing on for this research
2: i think we there was like a list of it i think we mentioned she was like 11 of them like <laughs> i think
1: some of them are very like, <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> but down like i think it was a lot but it's like you can see they're kind of overlap with each other so Smaller company have like these five, but overlap two with the other. Uh, I think the one of the things I one of the why I kind of surprised with like the home care, like finding someone on demand to take care of your someone at home. I think that was like kind of surprising that company actually trying to do that. Yeah.
1: Um, it's interesting was, because yeah. we, um, I have a, like an, an elder, my, my grandmother is elderly and she needs some help for home care now. And so it's so hard to find. It's, it's a really hard thing to right. find. So it makes sense. There's there's pockets in the market that still needs to be filled in terms right. of, uh, uh, on-demand delivery services. But the ones that we decided to look at because of the nature of the design of this research, was the really popular ones that everyone knew. So mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Uber, Walmart, Amazon, Ta- uh, Instacart. And then there's one more. Do, Lyft. do you remember what we left? Yeah. Yeah. And so why why did we end up picking those five? What what were some of the criteria you were looking for?
2: So it was kind of simple. I just want to make uh, we want to make sure people are familiar with the brand. So want to know that how they associate with the brand. So because of the method we're using, or the max implicit. Uh, if they're not understanding, have never heard of that brand, kind of, <laughs> you can't use this for. I don't know this one. So it'd be like, they're probably not going <laughs> to react to the word that associated to that brand. So it kind of, it was kind of easier at that time as I would want to have a brand that most, many people understand that like they have seen or at least used before.
1: Totally. And, and you just touched on it a little bit. What is just for maybe listeners that aren't as familiar, can you just explain what the max diff is and what implicit is? We, we talk about it a good amount on the podcast, yeah. but.
0: Um, and we can even reference it, I think in the description below.
1: Yes. hundred. We call it max
0: implicit, but um, you've had to describe it now. So what are your thoughts? How would you describe it to someone?
2: So uh, I would describe it as like a, a research tool that has two parts. The first is combine the traditional tools and psychology tool. So the first part will be like uh, max difference. They're kind of used to understanding consumer preference because mm-hmm. they have to choose the most and the least important item to them and go through several rounds and understand how eventually it ranks. And the second part is like the implicit association test. Uh, the commonly used in psychology and it's kind of just test how people implicit associate with certain word to um, a certain like this connecting these two things and how they react to them based on how fast and also how if they think that word describe um, something.
0: I think the other cool thing to note about the max implicit approach is that it can be done online it's fairly quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we don't have to bring someone into anywhere. It's pretty easy for us to implement, but, and we do it a lot. We use the max implicit approach a lot, particularly in our intern um, projects. Um, But I think that you were looking at some particularly interesting things Um, and there were some interesting things you did with the data. So if you could give us um, just some of your thoughts on on where you took things um, to help you understand just what happened in your study.
2: Yeah, so um, besides that, makes it explicit to see how what matters to them based on their their priority when it comes to using the on-demand service or how they associate uh, them to the brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was initially very interested to in see how they relate to each other and what kind of service they use. So I eventually did a social network analysis graph to see how our participant uh, position in the map, just what type of service that, that connects them and are they using multiple service or are they more just using one type of service but very frequently i think that was like uh it's like a part of additional uh, method decided you at the end just kind of more visually see how, where they are at this at, at the graph
1: and rex you know what i'm oh, sorry i was just going to ask <clears throat> rex why do you think that this would be useful in a study like this to look into that type of a uh, network analysis, what what do you do that?
2: Yeah, so it, it's, so network analysis is uh, typically used to see how people connect with each other, and this uh in this case I was interested to see how they how many type of servers they use because like, I think one of the servers we asked is like have you use what kind of service they use and kind of check that all that apply. Um, you can see that some of them will connect to like six different services they used before. Uh, so it's, it, in in a, in a way that we can kind of know who are these people and where mm-hmm. are they in the graph and the way that we can kind of know it's this particular person or like see where they congregate each other at, 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 the, at the position. So we kind of easier to target them at some point. You, don't want, you want to like yeah. allocate your resources more effectively <laughs> too. To you to know well, what that, I think is really good, yeah.
0: what I think is really interesting about this approach is that so often in market research, we boil people down to aggregates, right? So mm. mean effects, main, you know, main effects, and we ignore the individuals. And there's a lot missed when you do that. So you know, when you look at just the mean of say, like the um, implicit reactions, right, what I thought was really interesting about your whole approach of things is that I think you incorporated more of the individual differences among people because even in the graphs that you made for the implicit data, um, you you had in you used um the, the box plots instead of just using bar graphs. And I think that what was really important in that is that you actually see the distribution of the individual responses, right. um, which is really telling. Uh, Because that mean really ignores the whole spread and being able to see that spread is is so important to really understand better the differences and look at the trends. Uh, So I think even in the presentation you gave, you were able to speak to some of those trends maybe more more accurately or maybe more descriptively than if you were just looking at means. And so then using the, the network analysis, being able to pull in those connections to say, to really point out, you know, like what this type of person who answered in these ways can really tell you. Um, And in some ways that can be more confusing, right? So I think that like, it's almost like information overload. It's like, well, what does that mean? Um, But I wonder if that is just because we're so used to looking at things boiled down into means. Um, But I think a lot of times means and metrics are measures of what Glenn would call mediocrity right mm. when you you know bring everybody down to a simple thing like that you ignore the wealth of information you collected um yeah. so is that something like an approach that you kind of noticed in yourself that you were more interested in individual differences or you know what what brought you to that
2: yeah so i, I think it started from um there's like a few crochet, application in our in this program is talk about like how because we most of the time in behavioral science we do like experimental study we, like you test and like control and then different treatment and see the group difference mm-hmm. uh i remember there was one there's this behavioral scientist i forgot who who he was and it was like a few months ago so we came to talk about uh the organization works in i think latin america so mm-hmm. they talk about uh, a lot of time behavioral science research was still kind of focus on like the overall effects how mm-hmm. group like treatment compares to control between treatments. Um but it seems to like he's trying to advocate like so how can we move over to see to have a more like segmented like like female versus male within the treatment. So kind of like boils down to like these are differences. That's like treatment one works as a control, but within the treatment one, where can we find people that it actually reacts to the treatments mm-hmm. so it kind of boiled down to like is that male's gender difference <clears throat> is that the uh is it different like how, how how can we dive in more and in, yeah to different treatments so like how can we to come up with better solution because when you're actually implementing those uh uh interventions they are actually different in real life when we need to target a specific person that actually reacts to them uh, yeah. so it's kind of like because we're all different people yeah. right? right so we might right. be
0: reacting slightly differently even though the right. mean is here and showing right. an effect your effect yeah. could be huge and mine could be small
1: Right, right, and a lot of that plays into the value in choosing the right statistical test mm-hmm. to look into. That you know, it's it's funny because everyone thinks of stats as this hard and fast thing, but it really does have an art to it. There is which, an art,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, which I always appreciate, and it, it kind of uh, reminds people. And I think the program does a really great job of this in teaching us that statistics is. Well, uh, in some, in some ways very arbitrary because you're, yeah. it's, it's also biased in what you decide to look at and what you decide mm-hmm. to run. Um, and you know, so there is no one rule for all. It's not just the mean or the average that's gonna right. help you. Or find the P value.
0: Yeah. Right. yeah. Or the P value.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um and Rex, so can you share a little bit about what you um what you discovered through this research? What were some of your findings and um like, what did you take what, away? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think one thing surprised me is like uh now all these this. this tech company doing they're like they keep saying that they're like very convenient all these flashy feature but when you actually look at what we studied more, it boils out to like that how consumer just want something that's very reliable and they can get something yeah on time and rely like and they can trust them fast within the time frame with the yeah. least amount of effort that's possible <laughs> like, like all these additional feature they're like good to have and can set them apart once everything's their basic has been like basic needs have been met, met. Mm-hmm. so it's like very interesting it's like yeah we have all these companies trying to promote like how good they are how innovative all these feature, but mm-hmm. I wonder how is the time that actually trying to evaluate themselves based on like do they satisfy the basic yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's a really interesting question. You know, yeah. there's the Haslow's hierarchy of needs, right? right and right, I wonder right. if there really is like, you know, a consumer's hierarchy of needs for, for each segment of of products. Right. Um, And that those things really have to be met before you really worry about these other incentives. Right. Right.
1: Right. And it's, it's funny because you were touching on how you're interested in going into UX. Well, there's this really great book that Michelle and I talk about all the time. That's titled (laughs) don't make me think, and it's, it's all about UX and how that is one of the, the, one, the biggest rule of UX is don't make me think. It's it's making things be intuitive. And I and I think your research really did kind of complement what the book is saying. So even though you didn't set out to do a UX study, you, you have a lot of UX <laughs> insights into this. It
0: kind of is. I mean, maybe because it is a, a web-based service industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of UX there, you know, ease of use and right. Um, intuitiveness and meeting basic needs uh, Mm -hmm. that all the flash doesn't necessarily get you what you're looking for.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. And um, so, so going from this, I, I also am curious, and we always love to ask this question as you went through the process of designing and actually executing the study, was there any hiccups along the way that you learned from that, you know, you might not have gotten in a traditional setting, but now that you're able to actually apply what you've learned, you're like, oh, there is a little bit of ebb and flow um, to this type of research.
2: Yeah, so I guess <laughs> I remember this like, very clearly when we started to program the survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to run into some issues. So, so initially we actually had like six brands, like task revisits of one of them, but it turns out to be like very hard. to not a lot of people understand have have seen t- no test Revit so I had to remove uh to make sure that we have enough of participants and also I think what what I learned is like the recruiting process it's not as mm. simple even though uh, uh actually has like a vendor like we're using but how to how do you define the things I never considered was like have to specify do you want to quote out something like Mm the certain groups i think it was like you can get very very specific (laughs) yes that's just something i never considered it's like yeah you know some people want to go
0: with census right right? so if you want to get census um you know data you know so having you know, demographics that match the census of the US, right? Yeah. Um, you know, on the male-female split, the different ethnicities, um, you know, different income ranges, or is it that you're interested in something more specific that you really do want a 50-50 split on male-female, that you want them to be between a certain age range, you know? Right. So there's a lot of decisions to make that people don't yeah. always realize are being made when you're doing any studies like this. Right,
2: yeah, especially it's like, you have to understand that. Like- this is really what you want because like, it can potentially affect like,
0: how totally change your results, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. How you, how you analyze the data and yeah. this is what you have to study, you have to keep thinking about, <laughs> okay.
0: But this then you have idea. to be, you know, very clear when you discuss the results. Well, we focused on people who were 18 to 30, you know, right. or we focused on people who are 18 to 50 um, because those two groups are going to be very different. Right.
2: right. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely the biggest lessons I learned, uh, that, that when we're trying to send out the survey uh, <laughs> it's definitely very helpful because like, I, I think, think we had
0: some really good discussions about what it would mean right like yeah, right. oh well if you went with this group it's going to mean this you know
2: yeah. <laughs> the implications are like choosing this why not the yes, other yes. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's like every decision could
0: potentially impact. it cascades right, <laughs> right. yeah <laughs>
1: It's so true but rex we had so much fun going through this this research process with you and and kind of helping you um, and guiding you throughout the way because we had like michelle said we had some really great conversations and uh the conversations we had actually sparked further internal conversations about ways that we can keep improving and we can keep making ourselves better researchers so it's always Great to have the interns with us to you know help facilitate those conversations i do want to make sure we have time for the game that i love playing (laughs) um the react attack game for anyone that's listening that hasn't heard this episode or listened to an episode previously it's just a free association um i'm going to say a word rex is going to say the first word that comes to his mind rex are you ready to begin the game I think so <laughs> <laughs> okay so the first word mbds stressful <laughs> amazon As. delivery
2: reliable
1: phone apps
2: so many oh one word sorry no that's
1: good oh, that's, that's good. fine yeah instacart grocery Ride sharing. Uber. Network analysis. Not (laughs) Uber.
2: Ride sharing.
1: (laughs) Max implicit.
2: Psychology.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's a great one. And then your final word is graduation. Oh. Is that what you're gonna end with? Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Don't know what to think about.
1: <laughs> uh, we're right there, Rex. <laughs> yeah,
2: almost, almost. That's a great way to end. Well, it.
1: My response
0: to that graduation is congratulations.
1: Awesome. I was
2: like, I really? at this poem is like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's relief. It was more of a relief. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Rex, thank you so much. If people have any questions for you about the study, where can they reach out to you? Where could they find you?
2: Uh, Easier, probably LinkedIn. I typically will respond to message if it connects with me.
1: Uh, Okay, awesome. Great. And we will have Rex's LinkedIn linked below if anybody has questions. We're also going to be releasing a blog at some point with all of these findings together. So that will also be out to give a little bit more color about this research that we did. Rex, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure working with you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great working with you. Awesome.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. And thank Thanks you, everybody. For more information or updates, follow HCD research on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at HCD research, Inc. And at HCD neuroscience, subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to rate review and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and stay tuned for more curious conversations.